Hey, 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 everybody, this is Coffee Chug, and I'm here with episode number 72. Can you believe we are already to 72? In this episode, I'm speaking with Amanda Glover, an educator in Florida, and what she is doing, and I should say not just her, but her school and the inquiry and innovative culture that they've established to infuse makerspace and STEM and hands-on learning, not just into a space, but into the whole culture of a school, is phenomenal. This episode Guys, make sure this is one you're going to want to check the show notes. Everything that we talk about is all linked in the show notes. We have some amazing graphics. And Amanda was absolutely phenomenal in sharing so many pictures of the space. And so as you listen to this podcast and you want to actually visually see what it is that she's talking about, she's been gracious enough to send me so many awesome pictures so you can actually see the space and maybe take some of those ideas and tweak your own classroom, your own learning space, your own makerspace, whatever your situation is. So enjoy this episode. Please, please, please take time to look at the pictures. Please take time to check out all the show notes and the people she references and the resources and the ideas. This one is loaded. And the reason that it's loaded is because it's a voice of an educator. It's a voice of you, someone doing the work not just a talking head, and she took time out of her day to share her message. So I hope that you share and give her lots of love and praise, and I hope that it inspires you to want to share your story because we need more educators sharing the positive things happening in schools. This is what should be in the news headlines. You know that. I know that. So let's make it happen. If you like this episode, I ask that you share on your social media channels. That's the nicest thing that you can do so we can get these stories these voices of educators like Amanda into more brains of other educators. So just take a screenshot and, and send it on Twitter or Instagram or your Facebook or whatever it is that you use. Let people know that you're listening to the to the podcast and the episode. Alright, here it is. Amanda Glover and her journey of starting and implementing and utilizing a makerspace hands-on learning approach. Not just in the space, but for all learning, for all kids, all the time. Enjoy. Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the brain. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug and I'm here with another amazing guest and in this episode we're going to be speaking a lot about the learning space and so we've had an opportunity to, to speak with some, some awesome other educators out there in the field trying to make sense of all these things going on in education and a lot of great things happening and um, I was on LinkedIn when I came across um, Amanda Amanda's work here and, and the stuff that she was doing and so I was like, oh my gosh, I have got to get her on this podcast because it's, it's pretty phenomenal what she's doing. I think it's, it's going to be a really great story for a lot of you just trying to wrap your head around how in the world do I do all this stuff in education. So um, enough about me rambling. Amanda, let's just cut right into it. Why don't you go ahead and just introduce who you are, kind of what you do, and then we're just going to dive right into the fun from there. Sure. Thank you. So I'm Amanda Glover. I am a teacher in Tampa, Florida. I've been teaching for 11 years and have been on this maker journey for about a year and a half. Um, 
I am now a fourth and fifth grade uh, math science gifted teacher. So that's kind of a also a new endeavor for me. Um, I've taught students of all varying exceptionalities, but this is it's definitely a new path for me. So. Yeah, so when you say math, science, and gifted, are those all different hats that you're wearing, or is it a gifted math and science thing, or, or, or how's that work? Because that's, <laughs> that's a big ball of wax there. It's, it's a lot. It's always a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I am teaching fourth grade math gifted and science gifted, and okay. then fifth grade math gifted and science gifted as well. And I'm fortunate enough to have an amazing uh, partner teacher that we actually co-teach all the students because we have quite large um, classes, fortunately. So um, it is a lot of fun getting to collaborate. Yeah, I bet. And I, I mean, I, I've done a lot of work in gifted and I, I spent five years of my career in gifted education. So I know all the fun and, um, and, <laughs> and, 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 and roadblocks that come along with that. So as you Absolutely. wear, as you wear those hats, how, how does the, the makerspace realm kind of fit into your day or, you know, how, do, how does that all weave in with, with everything that you got going on? <laughs> That's always the question, right? How do we get it all done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's kind of just something that I have been super passionate about. It was a dream that I, you know, I can't even pinpoint exactly where or what sparked it necessarily. Um, the closest thing I can think of is going to conferences and ed camps and seeing and hearing other educators discuss this makerspace thing. And, and me being the curious person I am, I'm, I'm nosy and not shy. So I just jump in and ask them what it is and what they're using it for. Um, so from there, it kind of just it sparked my interest and I, I wanted it to happen in my own classroom. And it wasn't anything, um, you know, to write home about. It really was just some things that I collected in a drawer. They were my, you know, like a treasure box of sorts. Really just when I'm opening a marker pack, throwing the actual cardboard in the drawer. And so that was my first makerspace. And um, so that's kind of where it all began. <laughs> yeah. And so when I was looking on the stuff on LinkedIn, it sounds like you guys have a newer space or maybe it's a, a renovated space. So I saw some pictures and it looked absolutely amazing. Um, and I should put it here too, as, as, as we talk about some of this, her learning space and things that she's got going on. Um, Amanda's been super awesome enough to share some pictures and things like that. So we'll have that linked in the show notes. So as she's talking about some of this, we do have visuals that kind of help you wrap your head around if you're listening <laughs> to this with, with, your, with your coffee while you're in your car. But what was that journey? So how have you talk a little bit about this space because it looked awesome in the, in the pictures that, that, that I saw online. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so that was definitely a, uh, a project in itself. Um, we right now have an empty classroom that we transformed into a maker space. So it's open and available to students um, K through five, well, pre-K through five, actually, at our school. Um, a lot of teachers start out with a maker space within their classroom, like mine. It could be junk drawers that students can utilize. Um, a maker space could be just empty shelving that you have open and available materials for the students to use. A lot of schools are actually moving into having a maker space in the media center because that's sort of the hub of schools, as our district is calling it, um, and every student visits there. Um, so ours is its own classroom, and it was quite a work in progress, um, and we can go into funding and stuff like that, which, which is not um, so readily available, but you can make it work for sure. Um, but yeah, we, we met as a STEM committee with um, my colleagues, and we sort of just sketched out what our purpose was, what our plan for the space was. Um, ironically, I actually asked my fourth graders last year before they left me for fifth grade, I said, if I could create 
a space for you to make in just, you know, some creative space with stuff for you to make, what would it look like? And I actually had them draw out blueprints of what the classroom would look like. And 90% of the images that the students drew me were literally just an open room with shelves for materials and a table. There were no chairs. There were no fancy 3D printers or robotics. They just wanted a space where they could get down and dirty with the materials yeah, and, yeah. and not have that fear of, oh my gosh, I'm going to like get tape on the floor and my teacher is going to freak out. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that was sort of my inspiration, you know, the students' needs. And I think that for the students coming back into the makerspace this year, that really gave them a sense of ownership. Um, it's a space by students for students, and that was super important to me. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, I encourage anybody that's making a makerspace, definitely get the kids involved. Um, some of the, the fourth graders from last year who are now fifth grade still at our school actually um, volunteered some of their time and helped organize the materials that we got donated. So um, I was very hands-off with that, except for, you know, dangerous things. Right, right. <laughs> <Like> real tools. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really good handle. Um, so... You know, they, they really have that sense of ownership and pride about the space. Yeah, I love that. And I think, I mean, as you're talking, you're talking about how you infuse student voice, and it just makes me so happy. And it's just so often, and I don't think it's intentional, right? Like, we, we overlook that voice, and so we think, well, we got to have A, B, C, D, and E, and kids are going to love it. And then they go in, and then we find out that half of it clucks dust because it's really not what kids want. And, and I just love what you, I mean, I think that's such a key point for, for as we think about learning spaces in general, and, and obviously we're talking maker spaces. Talk to the kids. And I think you really hit on something really, really important in there, that idea that, like, we don't always need this fancy, expensive stuff. And sometimes, especially as you're building that culture, it can inhibit the freedom of, of learning and creativity because there, that, that fear comes in of, I don't want to ruin anything. Therefore, it kind of freezes you, you know, and if you just that open space and it doesn't matter if you get tape on the floor, it doesn't matter if you cut the cardboard wrong, like, because you can just right. cut more, right? <laughs> and so I think that's such exactly. a, a really important point and I, I, I'm so glad you, you brought that to light there. And so... Probably the question that everybody has on their mind as they're listening because it's the question that seems to appear everywhere. So you have this makerspace. You're also a gifted educator, and you've got all these things going on in your school day. How have you guys figured out a system, or maybe you're still working through it, to get kids into space? Because it always seems to be the, the big conundrum of where do we put it usually, and then when do we get kids in there? So what's been your guys' model? I know you're still probably piecing through some things, but um, right. yeah, what, what's been going on for you guys in, in that journey up, up to this point? So up to this point, um, during pre-planning for the teachers, we actually invited the teachers in just to sort of look at the space, and it was an absolute hot mess, you know, quite intimidating, junk everywhere. There was no rhyme or reason at that point. Um, but just to invite them in and see the stuff that we had, um, I think was really important. And then we fortunately have a very good culture of inquiry at our school. Um, every Friday we have uh, STEM clubs. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that culture is already embedded. And I was very fortunate to, to come into this situation where that is the case. Um, our, our clubs this year are especially more focused because we want to naturally, you know, administration would like for students to increase learning gains. And so that's always, you know, the big highlight and focus. Um, and then it's teachers' choices on how we get them there, right? So we try 
to incorporate it into our lessons. So we have um, inquiry-based lessons that we do in ELA to support the science content and science content which enriches the ELA and so on. Right. Um, don't forget mathematics, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's embedded <laughs> kind of throughout, <laughs> naturally. Um, but we really try to incorporate, especially when you're doing um, engineering design changes, for example. Um, this month, our focus is force and motion. And so um, I kind of nerded out and I made like a little uh, catch video for each grade level, sent it to the teachers and just introduced the challenge to the kids and asked them if they're ready for it. Can they handle that challenge and come <laughs> on into the makerspace to figure it out? Um, because anytime you challenge the littles, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah we're on. Yeah, game on. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that, you know, gamifying the whole concept, too, is super important. Um, but, yeah, so we try to do, like, the preparation as far as the quote-unquote research, which is the content-based learning, um, and then have them design and blueprint, perhaps, in the classroom, then come into the makerspace and really allow for that time to create. I also thought it was really important in the makerspace to allow a place for unfinished projects to live until the class can come back and finish that up. I don't want them to feel like they have to finish it in a 30-minute sitting, right. because what project do you, we as adults finish in 30 minutes? It's just not realistic. Um, especially with high quality like we want. So um, really just making sure that we're embedding that inquiry-based learning throughout all of our subject areas, throughout all of our content every day, um, and then really just letting the makerspace enhance that experience for the students. Yeah, I love that. And so you – well, I've got a couple of questions, but the first one is, so you mentioned STEM club. What, so what – can you go into detail about that? I mean, is that something that's done during, during the school day, or is that – like extracurricular, um, I'm I'm fascinated by because I haven't heard anything like that before, so I'm I'm interested in, in in what that is. Yeah, me either. Until I came to the school, <laughs> um, basically the the process that we follow is we have a um, school wide um, RTI time, so a, a remediation time or enrichment time based yep. on the students' um, reading levels is our focus. So. That happens majority of the week. Fridays, however, we take that chunk of time and we um, dedicate it to STEM enrichment. So each teacher um, can choose to do their own idea or partner teach with somebody. And uh, for most of the scenarios, three through five students get to choose their top choices. So the teachers will propose a STEM club title, um, the topic that they're going to cover, and they kind of write a little persuasive blurb of why you should choose that yeah. STEM club. Um, we did try to make it really focus on sustainability and um, enriching the content. And um, K through two, they're kind of unique. The teams themselves actually choose activities and then rotate those activities um, for the students. And we're lucky enough where we do have some robotics in our in our school, so the teachers can check those out from the makerspace and use them within their classroom and their STEM club as well. Yeah, I love that, and I love that you've got this culture built in. I know. When I worked at, at the middle school I've worked at, we had um, we had like two maker spaces. We were a project-based learning school, and um, we used to run teacher tinker time on Friday, where during the prep, oh, cool. if they wanted just to <laughs> pop in, it was volunteer. Some days we didn't have anybody, and some days we'd have full house, and they could just come in for five minutes with their whole period. And we just every Friday have something different for them to just dabble in, so they could see all the stuff that we had and it's you know if nothing else just kind of planting that seed right like uh, maybe i don't need this right now but so many times like that third fourth quarter they'd be like 
you remember back in you know in, in, in November when you did that thing? Do you still have that? And so, um, you know, just we're just trying to build awareness, but not like cram it down their throat like you must do this, you know, because that doesn't work Absolutely. either. So, yeah. <laughs> So, if anything, the students will nag them into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, as as you've been going down in, into this journey, what have what have been been some of the benefits that you've seen come from the space? As you and, and I know it's still kind of fresh, and I know you've got a lot of things already going in your school that sound amazing. Um, but what have you seen that that you've been like this? This is definitely uh, the element needed in our building. Well, that's interesting, actually, because in um, grad school, I'm actually doing some research on makerspaces as well, and there's an underwhelming amount of quantitative data um, for that exact question for elementary style makerspaces. So I've actually kind of been asking myself that, how do I quantify um, the benefits of makerspaces? But really, the best I can just give you right now is student engagement, student interest, their excitement. They want to learn. They're begging to be signed up to go to the makerspace. Um, but they also know attached to that is all that content knowledge and that preparation before they go in. So they are willing to do it. They are motivated to learn. And I think oftentimes um, that is so hard to find. You know, I, I know many conferences I've had have just been, what motivates your child? What can I do yeah, <laughs> to yeah. help your child? <laughs> And, um, you know, sometimes those conversations are, are lost, but right. it's that's really, really important. And oftentimes I find in, in most classes, it's, it's that student that can't sit still during reading or can't sit and focus on independent reading time or gets super frustrated with that formulaic mathematical problem that goes into a makerspace where it's free forum, creative thinking, critical thinking that really thrive. Yeah. Um, and so... I guess to summarize, the biggest benefit is meeting all learners' needs um, and really allowing all students the opportunity to be able to visit a makerspace, to build their content knowledge, and find their strengths. Because I really do believe that all students are gifted in their own ways, maybe not necessarily academically with that core content, but they are going to be our future engineers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I love that answer because I, what I, I, I really delivered a, a loaded question there, and so um, you, you handled <laughs> okay. it quite well. Yeah, but I mean, because I, I, I think it's so important because I know for me where where I'm diving into um, as I work on. I mean, I'm really passionate about hands-on learning um, and and a lot of the stuff around what what they call purposeful play. Like Lego has a lot of research built around this concept, and especially like um, the Lego Foundation has a lot of research built around like like their six bricks, um, the six Duplo blocks, and just that manipulation of abstracted concrete and it just really i'm really fascinated at it and then obviously for me like but what's that mean for secondary because i see um elementary for the most part really embraces it it fits well with kind of the culture of a lot of elementaries Mm -hmm. and then the secondary becomes i think people want to but it's it's it seems harder, like almost like like it's more rigid, and it, they know and it's like, well, Absolutely. they just can't play to play, and it's we have like there's a different mm-hmm. mindset that we you, you, you kind of work against, and so, um, and the other thing is you were talking to like that the there's not that much research out there, so I definitely think there's you know your grad who knows maybe you'll be be, be the face of all the research, and I always think too about <laughs> you know I always think so much about the social emotional well-being of our kids right like we Absolutely. there's so much pressure on a teacher's plate now to get kids proficient and so it's not a, a finger pointing at teachers that 
what happens is there's just a lot of seat time because how do we get it all done? And I just sit there and go, that freedom, sometimes it just can just wash away some some stress and, you oh, know, yeah. and just get away from it. And, um, yeah, I just think there's there, there's way more to it than just what some people see, that it's just, you know, a glorified recess, which, you know, unfortunately some people do, do see it that way. Correct. And I think in, in when you're making your makerspace, it's very important for you to think of your purpose. Do you want that purposeful play? That I mean, that's okay. If that's something, going to the makerspace is something they earn and you allow them that free choice, that is totally fine. Or if you are directly linking it to the content, such as most of our scenarios, to increase that rigor and, and test scoring in our school, then that's okay too. So yeah, yeah you're right. It is, it's hard to let go because you don't want to lose content time, that's right. but <laughs> you know, you also don't want a whole bunch of children losing their hair turning gray by fifth grade either. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So it's, it's, as you're going through this, um, so someone's listening in here going, man, this, this place sounds amazing. What would be some beginner tips or if or someone's thinking like, you know what, it's time for me to actually get going, whether or not they have a makerspace or not. I mean, if we're talking just in their classroom, they're a media specialist listening or whatever their role, what what would be, be some beginner advice um, for someone going, okay, it's, it's time for me to kind of figure this out. What would you, you uh, offer them? Um. So my first bit of advice would be um, don't hesitate, just do it, even if it's just a junk drawer. You know, clear out that drawer from all the teacher resources that you have and just start filling it up with some recyclables. Um, And then if you do investigations, instead of, you know, providing them the material list, take that component away and see what they create. They can still follow the same step-by-step directions. Um, but see what they create with that same, you know, that different parameter there. Um, Thanks. (laughs) Next step, I think, would probably be, you know, think of your purpose. You know, is it the purposeful play? That'll kind of guide the direction of what materials you would want to bring into your makerspace, whether, again, it be a drawer, a shelf, school-wide, or in the media center. Um, There's tons of STEM resources right now. We are in the prime of finding STEM-type products. So um, really just thinking about what your purpose is for it. What do you want to support? What learning styles do you want to address? Definitely make sure you build your network um, of personal resources, people that are also enthusiastic about it that you could feed off of or at least follow Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, whatever your social media of choice is making sure you're following because there are going to be times where you're going to be overwhelmed and you just don't have, you don't think you have any more creative ideas. But when you go on that social media for that research part, um, you're going to be, you know, be so amazed. Um, I've often gone to Diana Rendina for resources. Laura Fleming's amazing as well. So those are two ladies that I really look up to as far as makerspace design and ideas. Um, and I've often just Pinterested, you know, makerspace and, seeing what posters or what resources people post on there as well, just to kind of get my own ideas. Yeah, I love that. And you, <laughs> you've talked several times throughout here, this idea of making sure you know your purpose, and I think that's so important. I know there's the work by um, Dr. Bob Dylan. He's got a book he co-authored with uh, Rebecca Hare, uh, The Space. And one of the things that I – one of my biggest takeaways from that book is when I work with people starting off is what are the verbs of the space, mm-hmm. you know? And so sometimes, people, sometimes people get caught when, it, when we think about purpose – we tend to give like this 
candy-coated school schoolified answer, right? Like, um, and then you, you start to think about the verbs, like, and then you know sometimes that that kind of helps narrow that. But that's so important. Sometimes that's it's so easy to overlook that, um, and then you kind of get caught with all these things. And so, you mentioned Diane, and you mentioned ben, mentioned Laura in terms of your your personal resources and, and Pinterest. Um, and, and we also talked about we are in this this saturated age of STEM products because at the end of the day, it's it's big business now, right? I mean, that, I mean everybody has yeah. it. So as people are trying to, to navigate those waters, are there any kind of STEM resources um, that you've kind of found that you're like being really high quality? Because I think that it also becomes overwhelming. People will say, mm-hmm. I, I get a $300 grant. What do I buy? You know, um, and so right. trying to... Some is good, some isn't good, and I mean, obviously, everybody has different opinions on things. But have you come across anything that you're like, this is this has the golden seal of approval of Amanda Glover? <laughs> oh, geez, that is a loaded yeah, question. Yeah, again. it is. Yeah, yeah, it's a big seal. So, yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. so with our funding, I can kind of share a little bit about what we have. I guess um, with our funding, one of our funding components came from an EdCamp grant. So anytime you go to an EdCamp and you hear of a resource or an idea you want to try so you can apply for a $500 EdCamp grant. Um, So we were fortunate enough, one of my colleagues received one, and that was simply used for shelving and storage for our makerspace because we knew we wanted to have a lot of recyclable materials. Um, So we invested in that. We invested in a workstation, a workshop, you know, which is really just a workbench. Um, And... Some of the robotics and I, I would say quote unquote fancy materials that we have. Um, we have some Mickey Mickey kits which are phenomenal and I know Erin, you're very familiar with oh, Mickey yeah. Mickey. <laughs> um, I I've used your resources quite often <laughs> to show teachers what they could do, the possibilities. Um, so we definitely have some Mickey Mickey kits, you know, again just kind of for that free exploration component. Um, for computer science, which was also one of our school focuses as well, we have some coding mice for the younger kiddos and Botley. Um, we have some parrot drones, which I think are phenomenal. We did an investigation where um, actually the teachers during pre-planning created some sort of um, system they could attach to the drone that would move items from one bin to another magnetically. So they oh, got cool. to do that. They were they're very excited yeah. that one of our controllers died. So <laughs> be sure to charge the controllers yeah. <laughs> as well. <laughs> we also have some um, Ozobots. Um, that that the teachers can check out as well. So resources like that, I feel like, are um, amazing. We don't have any, but I have had experience with Blockly as well, yep. or Blocksouls. Blocksouls, I apologize. Yep, yep, yep. Um, that are are really great tools as well. Um, so I would I would suggest just check it out, look at reviews that people have left it, or maybe you know just tweet out or email somebody on, you know, in the ISTE chats or what have you, and just ask, ask for people's opinions and they will freely offer it. Um, because like you said, the market is saturated, but there are some amazing things out there. Um, I also try to point teachers in the right direction for lessons because there's tons of free and available lessons. You do not have to spend all of your planning time redoing and reinventing the wheel as far as activities. So, um, for Florida educators, we have um, a website called CPOMS, and that's um, through the state. So they have a lot of free activities on there and, and lessons that teachers can search by grade level and topic. 
Um, I often use Microsoft's hacking STEM lessons as well. They are phenomenal. And the thing I like the most, which is so nerdy, is teacher, <laughs> teacher nerdy, yeah. is they, um, their material list is hyperlinked. So you just click on the materials you need. It'll send you to Amazon or wherever the, the cheapest available materials are because it's all price conscious. Yeah. Um, and you can order and get it for your kids, and it's a reusable. You know, you can use it from one lesson to the next. Um, so, re- you know, just do your research, write down the ideas and, and start with one or two things at a time. See if you like it, um, spread the word about it, build your network on that. And then, you know, go to conferences and, and you'll see more resources readily available for you to use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm sitting over here and I know people listening can't see it, but I'm nodding my head going, yep, I love that. I love that. I love that. And yeah, <laughs> the hacking STEM, you said it is, it's, it's nerdy, but it's so true. They've definitely made it as, as painless as someone possibly can besides like literally just delivering it to Absolutely. your house and doing it for you. So, uh, <laughs> but Amanda, this has been phenomenal. You've given tons of ideas and resources. And so we'll make sure we get all the links in the show notes for those that want to dive into some of these things in a little bit more detail. Um, I can't thank you enough for your time. And man, if people want to reach out to you, what, where's the best place for them to uh, find you? Well, I am a Twitter addict, so you can find me on Twitter at aglover for the number four edu, um, or you can also follow my classroom progress at glover underscore hge. Um, you can also email me. Feel free to email me at gclassroomtechlover at gmail.com. Awesome. We'll get all those in the show notes for those that are interested. And, and like we said, she's going to be sending some pictures of the space. So you can check this out. And um, Amanda, I can't thank Absolutely. you so much for your time to uh, carve some time out of your busy day um, to uh, chat oh with me. Oh my gosh, thank and, you. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Yeah, this has been, this has been it's so, so good. I mean, the, the sharing the stories and the voices of people in the trenches doing this work is, is, is what we need more of to, uh, you know, get us out of bed every morning and uh keep Absolutely. doing this uh, awesome job of education. So thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you. Oh, no problem at all.